This is Shop Talk Radio, episode 12 with F.E. Castleberry. Welcome to Shop Talk Radio. I'm your host, Nick Onkin, and on this show, we bring you inspiring guests to dive underneath the hood of the creative entrepreneurial lifestyle to bridge the gap between art, commerce, and inspiration. Happy to welcome my talented, longtime, and close friend, Mr. F. E. Castleberry. Frederick and I met years ago when he hired me to shoot branding images of him for his own photography business. We've been great friends ever since, and he's inspired me with his story throughout the years. He's grown leaps and bounds since I first met him. Through the journey of the last few years, he went on to create a very well-known blog in the prep fashion world called unabashedlyprep.com, along with a large cult following in the prep world because of it. In this podcast, we talk about how building the blog and brand led him to a creative concept director role at Ralph Lauren Rugby in New York City. He's now ventured out since then to create his own clothing label. Frederick is an inspiration and has learned some great processes on curating a brand while at rugby, which he shares here today. Also in this episode, we learn how recreating work is part of the creative process. Communication is the key to working with the team. Also, keeping overhead low is highly important to building a career as a creative entrepreneur. How to develop your point of view first give yourself room to breathe and experiment without society approval. How important writing down your vision is and actually accomplishing it. So that and a lot more today. So let's get into it. Awesome. Well, today we got Mr. F.E. Castleberry joining us today. Hello and welcome, Fred. Hi. Frederick. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Great to be here. You prefer to be called Frederick uh, these days. Yeah, correct? yeah. My friends can call me Fred, so we can, we can do that. But <laughs> Mr. Fred, awesome. Well, uh, give us a little background on... You know who you are. You, you were a photographer, and then you started this blog that got really big called Unabashedly Prep, and then you moved on and became the concept director at Ralph Lauren Rug, Rugby. So, kind of give us a story. What's from the time you started in the art world up until now? Yeah, so I started getting into photography around 2005, and um, started shooting weddings, and found that to be uh, creatively fulfilling at that point <laughs> and it wasn't too long after that before I met you uh, probably in 2008 9 something like that but yeah. I've been shooting weddings traveling around and 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 that's actually how we met was through a, a mutual wedding photography colleague and I had always loved the style of photography that you had been shooting and I'd kind of grown up on 
you know, Bruce Weber's work uh, in those like Abercrombie and Fitch quarterlies. That's really all I looked at yeah. in high school. And so that was sitting in the, in my subconscious somewhere yeah. and doing my wedding work. I was always looking for those kind of moments. Um, that's what I was typically drawn to. And as I traveled around and, and photographed more overseas and, and Hawaii and Caribbean and doing these destination type weddings, uh, I found myself wanting to really get to the northeast a lot more and photograph mm-hmm. these like black tie affairs and really kind of construct this wedding portfolio that uh, might find itself in in the world of like a Ralph Lauren type ad. Yeah. And so the northeast was really where that was at. Well, while I was working out of Dallas, uh, Texas, I wasn't really ready to move to New York to do that yet. Uh, so I just kind of said, you know what, if I can't be like at the top of that game and, and consistently be featured in, in magazines and such, then I think I want to just walk away from it because it's not really fulfilling me creatively anymore. And so I sat around for like a year while I was still shooting weddings, kind of twiddling my thumbs. Um, but soon after I had decided to kind of walk away from wedding photography, I got this idea to start a style blog. Uh, specifically for men um, and the idea came and, and I kind of developed unabashedly prepped the concept, the ideas, the content over a nine month period and really took it seriously. I just poured a lot of my creative energy into it yeah. and uh, decided I was going to have all the imagery be beautiful and just really apply my photographic eye that I developed through photography and and have that set a standard for what this would look like at the time in 2009 a lot of blogs were uh, snapshot type photos or you know there just wasn't a consistent there wasn't necessarily a platform that was doing it like amazingly like all oh, these images are no matter what they are of they're beautiful and not like what you see today so uh, I spent time just creating content for this site and you know, two and a half years into it, I was at the point where I was, I picked up fashion clients along the way that had seen my work through the blog. And the blog was essentially serving as a portal uh, for getting new work uh, in the fashion world, which is the direction I was wanting to go. And pretty much that eventually opened up a door to work at uh, at rugby Ralph Lauren to be the d- director of concept design for the men's men's stuff. So that took me to New York and that was uh, April of 2012. Awesome. Wow. So, I mean, now I know when you were shooting before, then when you kind of started doing unabashedly prep, that was a huge transition for you. And I mean, I, I know like one of the things I love about you is your like attention to detail and, and all that. And I know jumping into that, there was a lot of attention to detail. Like what spurred that, what was in, what inspired that transition into the prep world? I mean, that's a huge, it's a huge shift. Yeah, it was, I, you mentioned the attention to detail. That is a, a blessing and a curse, I think. And going into this, I really paid a lot of attention to the design of the site and really wanted it to feel quote unquote, I really wanted it to feel like professional to a degree. Like I wanted it to feel like when you visited the site, Oh, is this like an individual writing the site or did a company start this? 
And that's what I was aiming for. And so I spent nine months trying to get it right. And when I felt it was right, that's when I went live with it, like in September of 2009. And um, wow. yeah, so there was a lot of, there were a lot of details. Fortunately, I had a lot of, uh, I had a couple really talented uh, friends who helped me along in the design phase uh, who also lent their eye. So there was some collaboration in that regard, but a lot of the direction, the art direction, if you will, was definitely uh, on my plate. And, you know, I just had fun with it, but it was a chance to really create something that I had control over. Uh, in shooting weddings, uh, there were so many factors that were out of my control yeah. that to do something where I had all the control felt really great. And to actually be able to pay attention to all the details and, and tinker with them and get them just the way I wanted, there was something really fulfilling about that. Uh, whereas a whereas at a wedding, um, you're at a, you're at an uncontrolled event. You don't have control over how how it looks and and what's happening. So you're very much in a different space. And so to be able to flip that and and focus in on and fine tune things uh, really allowed me to exercise a point of view that I'd been wanting to to do for a little while apparently yeah so what what was it like what kind of strategy or what what was your goal in building this brand and, and how did you really actually go about doing it because I mean it's such an ambiguous thing is just like go and build a brand online and and somehow you've done you know it's it's been successful and and you've got garnered a big following from that what like how did you do that to begin with my aspirations were very modest you know the key thing that I wanted was I really wanted inspiration you know after leaving the wedding world I was a little frightened by the fact that there wasn't this next vine that was like waiting for me to grab onto after I let go of this other one I was really it was a scary place to be you know when you don't have a clear vision of what you want to do next so I just kind of waited, and uh, this idea came to me to do this. I had seen sites like the Sartorialist, and I had also seen other sites that were devoted to very niche yeah. subjects, like women's shoes. And they were getting these insane followings because they were so niche, and they were so... Some of the followings were coming in from overseas, and, and one of the one of the bloggers that I was inspired by I lived in the next town over and she was like six, 17 at the time and writing this great blog um, had a huge following she had just gotten a shoe uh, a shoe contract with Urban Outfitters to design a capsule shoe collection wow. and that's when I was like what like I want to do that like why why am I sitting here not doing that <laughs> I would love to design um like, like a capsule collection for a company. And so I kind of set off with that in mind. Like, let's get the blog to a place where I can get the attention of someone uh, to do some design in that regard. And that's really where I set off. That was really it. That's like, that's what I wanted. That's where I wanted to go. Nice. So it was, it was really about kind of having the passion for it and then it just built slowly. Yes, this was, this was completely fueled by passion. I mean, I was not making... There was no money to be made, at, you know, in the beginning. Uh, I wasn't even sure how there was money to be made. 
halfway through, but um, it was completely fueled by passion and a genuine interest uh, in doing it. There was no like, there was no other agenda than just creating something and sharing something with people that I was passionate about. And that was uh, like men's preppy type style. Yeah. How did you get into the, the prep? Like what was, what was your draw to that world? It's, um, I mean, it's something that goes back, I think even to, you know, middle school, I wore a ton of like Tommy Hill figure and, tassel loafers and penny loafers and stuff it seemed to be quite the uh quite the rave i guess uh back in 1993 94 <laughs> and there was just something about classical dressing that appealed to me the fact that you could have these classical pieces these standard wardrobe workhorses but yet wear them in different ways that Mm. kind of tip their hat to the trends that were going on. I, re- I really liked that. There was something about that, that that drew me to that. A lot of it had to do with what I grew up looking at, again, going back to these Abercrombie and Fitch quarterlies that Bruce Weber shot. That was, in a way, kind of a neo-prep uh, branch off of, of, of what Ralph Lauren was doing. Abercrombie and Fitch was making a little more casual pieces, but the way that they were styling and putting them together extremely imaginative you know a lot of these bruce weber shoots incorporated a lot of high fashion pieces into a lot of these lifestyle shoots you know a lot of the a lot of people don't know this but some of the blazers that they would wear in these abercrombie fish shoots a lot of these were like versace and like very european high-end designers but the stylists had this real depth of knowledge to draw from to mix these things and create this entirely different world uh, that Bruce really heavily helped create. Wow. So all of that kind of came to the forefront. And, you know, as you're growing up and and becoming a man, my dad was kind of a hippie growing up in the 70s and didn't really teach me a lot about clothes and how to dress. and, And so I had to teach myself a lot of this stuff. And I gravitated towards, towards the more, um, classical American timeless stuff that you could wear a little bit closer to your body. You could keep it modern, but yet still not look at yourself maybe 20 years from now and go, what in the world was I wearing? Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of how I arrived at that place. I think all these things kind of dumped into my subconscious throughout childhood and throughout high school that kind of manifest themselves now at this point. Yeah, so, I mean, and especially throughout the progress of, of the blog, it was like you were curating a, a, an aesthetic and a taste. Uh, tell, tell us a little bit more about how you created that and, like, what the process and how the importance of that. That was, uh, so yeah, that was a real interesting thing to see develop over time. There was this particular section of the blog that I called Dress Code, and basically that was me taking street style shots of people that I thought, oh, wow, this person looks inspiring. And the idea was like, oh, that picture would go into like if we had a dress code for school, like this person would be an example of like what was acceptable and inspiring. And like, yeah. so I kept taking a lot of pictures of people and that was a way of me really kind of curating like, hey, 
this looks good, that doesn't look good, this looks good. And everything I showed was assumed to be, oh, I think this looks good. So after photographing 300, 400 people, you really get a sense of what that world kind of looks like through my eyes, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like I just found these people off the street. Every single one of the people I photographed, they were either acquaintances, friends, or people that I had met a couple times. So there was a little bit of a relationship there. Uh, I did try to photograph one person on the street one time, like cold turkey. I believe he was like a professor, maybe at an Ivy League school. It was on the Upper East Side. Dude turned me down flat. And I was like, well, that's the last time I'm going to do that. (laughs) And so they've all been like friends and acquaintances. And I've helped like with little styling elements, you know, I've like taken what it's not. It's more of a joint effort when you see them on as photographed by me. Like there are my fingerprints on them as well in the different styling elements that I've maybe done in the picture um, regarding the clothes. So I can not help but do that as a photographer and part of the territory. Yeah, kind of part (laughs) of the territory, especially when you're doing a lot of your own shoots, right? You style your own test shoots with models and stuff and. Um, and again, it's about that point of view, like, oh, I love what you're doing here, but through my eyes, maybe you've got the scarf wrapped this way or the jacket kind of with the collar up here, you know, and you're, and you're kind of helping mold them into a little more refined version of the world that you see. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like point of view is so huge in creating this type of brand. Yeah, I think that's everything, actually. You know, being able to not only possess um, and 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 be familiar and be extremely comfortable with your point of view, but also conveying that to people uh, and having conviction behind it and, and being very clear about what that is. Um, I've been blessed, I think, to to share that with people and to end up be clear on that myself Um, that's not something that that all of us have innately Uh, some of us it takes a long time to discover you know i mean a lot of my friends don't know what they're extremely passionate about yet they don't know what lights them up inside uh just yet Mm -hmm. you know we all have that inside of us somewhere yeah Uh, it's just about finding it Um, and then at that point it's about sharing it through a certain platform whatever that may be and uh but yeah the point of view is huge you know that's especially whenever i was in high school looking at uh a lot of bruce weber's work specifically there was such a distinct point of view i was like man this is just so cool like i can't put my finger on it because i'm only 15 and i don't have a developed eye for like what i'm looking at but yet i just felt that it was so cool like this is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you just kind of saw that point of view of Bruce and, and the people that he was working with kind of work its way through all of his work throughout the years that, um, you know, he would continue to be shooting. So, so part of it is from, you know, a intake and, and looking and researching, but also creating through your photography, you're, you're, you're kind of creating that aesthetic, that, that eye, that point of view through practice. Yeah, there was a book that I read uh, called Steel Like an Artist, and uh, it's a really short read, but (laughs) it just talked about how nobody's 
original. Nobody starts off original. You know, it's like we all take these influences from everywhere. We put them through this blender uh, of ourselves, and then we put out what all those influences mean. Um, and so, and that's really where we get this point of view from. You know, we get all these influences from how we grew up, what we're looking at all the time, uh, people that we spend time with, uh, experiences that we've had. And, you know, once those kind of go through this filter of, of the way you see the world, now we have a point of view that is unique, that is something that wasn't all these other things that went inside of you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I love that book because. A lot of people give people flack for like copying and, and stealing and and what this book points out is like that's a necessary part of the creative process because you're learning and mm-hmm. you know you can't write uh, if I write my name a hundred times handwritten no no one name is going to be written the exact same way I'm going to have a hundred different looking handwritten versions of my name and that's really like how copying and stealing stuff works like if you're making it your own eventually it's going to be you um like when an artist covers a song that they haven't written at some point that song becomes theirs also yeah and they just have done it in a way that is coming from their own experiences wow so what taste making is uh very much pretty much the pretty close to having your own point of view, but it's a little bit more kind of what you're putting out there and, and creating a brand around that. Like, what do you, how do you see that? Ooh, taste making. That's such a like hot word, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. For lack of a better term in a certain sense. Yeah. I suppose that's ever a word you want to like bestow upon yourself, but (laughs) taste making. Yeah. It's really about taking your point of view, I think, a step further, you know, and being confident uh, with what you're trying to say and with what yeah. you see. Uh, you know, everyone has a point of view at some point, like an opinion. But taste making is really about stepping forward and kind of leading uh, into territory that maybe is unfamiliar or hasn't been visited yet. Or um, it's about going out and, and treading a path that um, that hasn't been necessarily tread before. Yeah. Uh, you know, and it's, it's taste making is not really about by any means like setting trends by any, you know, or any of that. It's really about being your, your authentic self mm-hmm. and being comfortable with that person and, and being confident that um, knowing that your best work might and probably won't be your most popular work. Uh, the two shouldn't really be confused because mm. I think we've all found over time that some of the best work that's ever been done is not popular. The general public sometimes doesn't have the best taste. And I think that's where people that are taste makers come in mm. and are really about educating and enlightening, hey, this this is this is good. Like, this is cool. And you know, speaking from that place of just truth that uh, is coming from inside of you, not really from a lemming point of view, like, oh man, popular music, this is amazing, this is great. Like, popular music, I think we can all agree, has never really been the best music. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's what's popular. And so tastemakers really have this really cool responsibility and opportunity to really share great work with people and what that and what that looks like. Yeah. So, I mean, you've done, you know, so with, with that, you've created, with the, the blog, you created a visual style, you have a point of view, and then that led to your job at, at Ralph Lauren and, and rugby. So, what was the transition there, and, and what, what appealed to you about that job? Because that was a pretty high, that's a very high-profile job. Yeah, that was, uh, that was, that was an amazing opportunity, and I think what happened uh, in that regard was, that job came about for a couple different reasons. Um, one of the big reasons that came about was because of relationship. You know, you've heard it a million times. It's not what you know, it's who you know. That will forever ring true. And I had made some really great relationships at rugby over the time that I was publishing on a bachelor prep. I had really gravitated towards uh, their point of view as well worked with them on several different projects, photographed a lot of their kids that worked at their stores uh, for the dress code section. And, um, you know, got to know, I remember one day I had uh, just kind of said to a friend, hey, we were talking and um, she said, yeah, I, I have a friend of a friend who designs clothes for, for rugby. And I was like, wow. How cool would it be to actually meet somebody who designs clothes that everyday people wear? You know, not like this high fashion stuff, but like clothes that people actually buy and shop uh, in the Midwest or, you know, outside of New York. And it was probably seven months later that there was, I got a comment one day on the blog that was from a designer at rugby that said, hey, we love what you've been doing. Next time you're in the city, why don't you swing by the office? I'm sure a lot of the guys here would love to meet you. I read it again. And I was like, <laughs> whoa. I was like, that's real. Uh, so the next time I was in New York, sure enough, I went up there and, and met the guys. And, and that was kind of the start of some really like strong foothold relationships within the company. And, you know, we just kept in touch. And, and again, it was about having an having an aesthetic or a point of view that was very similar to what rugby was all about and so when this this specific position came open as uh, director of concept design it was a really natural fit Mm. uh, to do this uh, because i'd already been creating my own concepts with uh, the tumblr mood board that i had created in conjunction with unabashedly prep and so that was really image driven. And so it was about pulling inspirational images and pairing those together and, and telling color stories with those or feelings and moods. And, and you just kind of saw a whole wall come together that, mm-hmm. that might look like what you would do before the beginning of a, a design season. And, um, you know, they, they saw that I had an eye and, and they saw that that was something they could work with. And, and we met, over and over and over again and yeah. finally after a six or seven month interview process uh, started working there I moved up to New York for that job and uh, and that was like April of 2012 so awesome. uh, it was a great fit that's great so I mean just so everybody's on the same page what exactly is the, the vision and the goal of the director uh, of concept design 
Yeah, the director of concept design uh, at Ralph Lauren specifically, before, as we go into each design season, Ralph Lauren is about creating a world. So oftentimes those are based on specific concepts, whether it be like Dartmouth Ski Team or Garden Party Club. And it's like we create these characters and we want to find these characters that we can now build off of and then build a world around. Uh, it's not unlike make it's not unlike you know doing a movie like with Ralph, you know. I think in another life he wanted to be a, a movie producer, <laughs> but he's often talked about viewing his clothes as like being in movies. And yeah. so he wants to create these characters. And so concept design is really all about that. It's about, with rugby specifically, we delved into a ton of vintage imagery, like old stuff, 1940s, 1920s, 1930s, 1800s. Yeah. A lot of it was collegiate. And, you know, if we could get a group shot, a team group shot uh, of a specific sport, let's say it was like a rugby team, and this specific photo had like four or five different like looking guys. We would like go in and design for those specific guys. Like, oh, this guy likes to wear this or this guy wore this hoodie this way. Okay, let's kind of base some of our pieces off of that or let's style it this way. And then, you know, it was really about it was a ton of image research, uh, a lot of vintage shopping. Wow. Because then we would take the images that we had collected together, edit it down to like six or seven blow them up, put them on a huge wall, and then we'd uh, try to find the, the vintage clothing pieces to recreate uh, a version of what all these images were speaking to us. So sometimes that meant, uh, you know, vintage shopping or actually just going, to the, going through a bunch of old Ralph Lauren clothes uh, to recreate that. So we, we would, you know, build an entire room around these concepts. And, and, and then, um, you know, once... Ralph saw that we would basically bring in the designers for each of the categories and then we'd talk about what pieces we want to start doing. Wow. But, um, so that, that was basically the role of, of concept design was to uh, jumpstart the entire design process with uh, the ideas mm -hmm. and the places and the people that we were going to be designing for. Got it. Got it. So what, what's probably the biggest thing you learned from being there? Through the process the biggest thing that I learned was the importance of collaboration and the importance of uh, of working with other people in communication Wow that was such a huge operation there uh, so many pieces needing to be designed and, and so forth that being able to communicate and be on the same page and also being able to give and take in certain areas yeah. choose which uh, choose which which ground you were willing to give on and which things you weren't willing to give on and, and then kind of negotiate accordingly yeah so i guess through this process like what you know what it, it's all gravy on the top but what's like what are some like fears that were going through your your you were feeling and going through this whole process even getting the job i'm sure there was a lot of like what am i doing or what like what was going on inside yeah, whenever I uh, had accepted the job, I mean, it was it was very exciting. It was a very exciting time. 
uh, not much different than you know anticipating your first day of like college first day of school like you know you just got this what's it gonna be like and um, the really you know I think going into that going into that situation you do wonder if you've bitten off more than you can chew mm-hmm. you know you do but you press into that you know somebody believed in you and you know this I always saw that as the next natural progressive step so I was very much excited to to take that on yeah um, you know there's times where you wonder if you are going to be good enough you know when you're two three months into the job and you are making your mistakes and uh, <laughs> you're wondering if this is normal or if you'll you know you'll fit in or how, how long is it going to take for me to really like you know ratchet this dial this in yeah and be really effective and be a real asset to the entire team uh, yeah but those thoughts would go through my head on a daily basis I could imagine. Yeah, I mean, it probably translates a lot back into when you were building up Ashley Prep and and being on your own. And and there's a as a creative entrepreneur, there's a lot of there's a lot of things, fears that you face going into that. Am I going to make my Am I going to pay my rent and and things like that? What kind of what What did you go through in that process? You know, as yeah, like you mentioned, as a creative entrepreneur you're always the the money the finances whether you want them to be or not they're always kind of in the forefront of your mind and you're wondering how are we going to take this creative beautiful thing that I love that's very pure how are we going to monetize this so that uh, I can actually keep the lights on keep a roof (laughs) over my head you know reach financial goals that I see for myself five years from now and you know I'm by no means perfect uh, at at, you know nailing that down but I do know this that I never once approached any of those things with the idea of making money Mm. it was all from a place of me loving to do this it was it was coming from a place of passion and and that's still really where I let my heart go is do I love doing this? Uh, because I truly believe that if you do love doing this and, and you're good at it, keyword, you are good at it, um, that you can make a living doing it. Uh, people will eventually seek you out uh, for that specific, again, niche point of view that you have on whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, and you can become an expert or, or a voice of influence uh, in that specific regard. Yeah. Uh, in my instance, that niche was like classic preppy men's fashion and so with that you know I I accepted that for what it was and and, you know fed into that and continued on uh, doing what I enjoyed doing uh, even after uh, the stint at rugby so yeah so you I mean it sounds like from what from what you're saying is that passion is what passion for what it is and what you do is the thing that keeps you going through all of those fears all of those am i going to keep the lights on this month and 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 pushing towards that vision yeah you if the passion ever runs out you're in trouble (laughs) (laughs) you're you're in trouble 
So always continue to reevaluate what it is that turns your light on inside. Yeah. Um, a lot of us could get caught in the trap of continuing to do something simply because it works, even though we're, even though we might be born out of our minds, yeah. uh, eventually. Uh, so it's, it's, it's also, it's a continual reevaluate reevaluation process that is what kind of happened whenever I decided, you know what? I think I'm done photographing weddings. Like there's nothing left inside of me that wants to show up and take another <laughs> picture of a couple getting married. <laughs> that sounds so jaded and horrible, but after doing it for five years, um, I considered it a disservice to my potential clients if my heart wasn't in it. Yeah. I mean, imagine paying all that money to have a wedding photographer show up and he's just kind of like half-assing it. Like his heart's not in it and your heart is in this whole deal. Like you want to find somebody who is, who's in love with what they do. Yeah. The moment I fell out of love with that was the moment I opened my heart to something else and I just kind of waited and waited and, um, you know, this came along and it ignited me again, inspired me. And, uh, you know, we kind of hung on and, and rode from there until this uh, stint at Ralph Lauren happened. And then uh, moving on to eventually starting my own uh, menswear f- fashion brand, um, which is where we are now. So, yeah. So, you know, what keeps you. Like when you lose that passion or you lose, where do you find the, the next inspiration? I mean, and especially like keeping the lights on and what's, you know, what's the next step? Yes. So you keep coming back to keeping the lights on. There are jobs <laughs> that need to be done in order to make money. Yeah. Okay. And granted for me, those jobs have uh, still been in the field of what I love to do, whether it be writing photography, designing for other companies, freelance. But like, these are the things you do to keep it going. Yeah. You do these things out of love to keep your vision alive. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's not all like rainbows and unicorns. It's like, <laughs> if that was the case, we'd all be on our couch, like, you know, unemployed at some point. But yeah, there's work you got to do that's you're doing with this other vision in mind. You're like, this is what I got to do to be here. This is like point A, go to point B, and point Z is here. Um, I mean, I think we've all we've all been there. The thing is, we don't want to get stuck there. Right. We don't want to take our eyes off the fact that, hey, this is getting me to this point. I need to keep moving. Yeah. Um, the, the trouble is, is when we get stuck at one of these checkpoints that is helping us keep the lights on and while we're pursuing our dream. Uh, we get stuck there, and then we start to get the life sucked out of us. The passion yeah. and the vision starts to fade. Uh, you know, the zest for life starts to, you know, wither. Uh, that's that's a bad place to be. <laughs> that it is. <laughs> no, and I mean, I guess I keep coming back to the the keeping the lights on because that really is, especially the creative entrepreneur like lifestyle. Like, it's always feast or famine. Like. Yeah. You come in and you, you make a bunch of money and then you don't you don't make any money for like a month and then it just it goes in waves and yeah, you really have to have discipline in uh, lifestyle. You know, you have to 
figure out, hey, this is how much I'm going to pay myself every month. Even when I did make so many thousands of dollars last month, you just steady and slow. You know, you, you want to keep your overhead low. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a huge thing. And then, um, you know, just stay, you know, again, there's, there's the, there's the jobs that you come back to that you're still refining your craft to a degree. You want to stay within that. Uh, but then there's also the conversation of, of how valuable and how worthy do you see yourself? Mm. Because that's going to be a direct reflection of how much you're going to, to put yourself out on the marketplace for. Yeah. Uh, if you see yourself as a valuable asset, you have um, privileged knowledge and information and experiences that only you or a small group of people like you uh, have come into uh, that's worth a lot and if you don't value that in yourself and you don't appraise yourself at a certain uh, you know value then you're probably going to come into more famine than feast yeah as a freelance you know as a freelancer and entrepreneur but yeah, so you'd say you'd, you'd probably sacrifice a few things, you know, in order to build your vision, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> sacrifice does not even begin to cover it. Yeah. Um, I mean, what kind of things have you sacrificed to get to your greater vision? Financial security, for starters. Yeah. Um, some people just don't have it in them. It takes a lot of guts. Yeah. It takes a lot of trust in yourself mm. and belief in yourself even when people around you don't believe in what you're doing <laughs> um, you know mom and dad typically are going to stand behind you but outside of that uh, you might not have a lot of support Yeah, and you know the longer that you can uh hang on and pers- you know, push through. But yeah, financial security has been, been a huge one. Um, you give up some sort of, I mean, it's like a dichotomy all the time. You know, you give up certain structure and certain um, stability, but you're also gaining freedom. If you know how to manage that freedom, it's great. It's amazing. Yeah. If you don't, that freedom will run all over you and you'll, you'll feel like you're standing on water. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll sink like a stone. You know, it'll just take over you. Yeah, uh, your days aren't structured, and you don't have a routine. And you know, so there's that. Um, sacrificed uh, health insurance. I'm sure we've all done that at some point. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I've um, done that. <laughs> so there's that. Um, you know, but those are things you give up when you really just believe in what you're doing. You know, it's like I'm going to. I will go broke. Getting this done. Um, and if you're not willing to go to that place, then you might not believe in what you're doing enough. Ooh. You know, like, I'm willing to go, I'm willing to spend every last cent I have bringing my vision to reality. That's powerful. Um, that's the only way I know. That's the only place I know to go to yeah. really make sure that I have no regrets when it's all said and done. 
Um, if I still have money in the bank, that means I didn't try hard enough. <laughs> and no, that's just, uh, that's, that's where I see it, you know? Or what, it, could be, it, could, it could mean that you're doing something right at a certain point. I hope so. I absolutely <laughs> hope so. <laughs> but I mean, I guess, you know, having said that, you know, what's, you know, what's the grand vision for Effie Castleberry? Like, you know, we talked, you talked a little bit about starting a brand, you know, clothing line. Tell us that, I mean, that is the, the vision from what it sounds like. Give us what's, what's, tell us. Yeah. The, uh, the end game, the, the end goal, the grand vision is to, uh, you know, design and, and helm a complete, uh, men's and women's lifestyle clothing brand. Mm. Um, not only have not only sell on e-commerce, but have actual uh, men's shops and women's shops, and and I love, you know, I love the idea of just being able to to be in the shop, yeah, helping guys dress better, educating, again, helping taste make, for lack of better words, how you should uh, go about clothing yourself for life and. You know, I imagine my two boys, by the time they're 18, 19, 20, working in the shop with me and then, you know, having it be a family business. I want my wife to be running the women's stuff and, and just be working together every day and um, really have a presence in, in whatever communities that we're in, you know, wow. and, and have those relationships with our, our customers and uh, and be a trusted source of, of knowledge and advice uh, in regards to you know, dress and clothing and style. So, yeah. So what's that going to take from you? What that's going to take from me is persistence, uh, patience, mm. uh, courage, fearlessness. And it's also going to take, uh, humility. There's going to be a lot of help that I'll need along the way from friends, family, complete strangers, uh, and, and not, and having the humility to ask for that support yeah. is going to be huge. Awesome. So what, like, what advice would you give to somebody wanting to, to create their own point of view? You know, starting out, there's a lot of, I'm sure, a lot of people listening that would love to figure that out for themselves. The first thing I would advise doing is develop that point of view in private. Mm. It's really tempting and really easy to want to do that publicly with all the social media platforms that we have take some time and just sit with it internalize it and don't you know if you do start a tumblr maybe keep it private for a year or if you do start an instagram maybe keep it private for a year really just like give yourself the freedom to experiment and and, and not worry about what other people are going to think about what you're doing like really give yourself room to breathe and figure out what it is that you like. Yeah. Um, you know, if I was going to compare that to a, to a musician, you know, someone who's aspiring to be a musician doesn't just start off and start go playing bars. The first couple songs they write, like <laughs> they actually spend time, you know, trying to write better songs. Yeah. The first songs we write, they write, it usually suck. Um, but they spend time in private, in their bedroom, in the privacy of their, their own space, just working through the rough spots, you know, working through it, you know, working out the kinks, getting a feel for what it is that they might want to say. Yeah. That would be the, the first 
advice I would give is, is start to develop that point of view in private. Just yeah. keep it to yourself for a little bit mm-hmm. and then share it later. Yeah. The second thing would be to really write down what it is that uh, you see your vision being in regards to this point of view. You know, what's this going to accomplish? Where do I want to see this live? Where, what areas of, of my life and other people's life do I want to see this point of view making a difference in people's lives? Yeah. Uh, and, and write that down. Um, a lot of what has happened over the course of the last uh, 10 years for myself has been because I've written these things down. Mm. And you'd be surprised at the power of just writing something like that down once has. Imagine if you wrote it down over and over and over again and kept refining it and, and refining it what it is that you wanted to do. Yeah. Um, one of the fun exercises that I that I do is I have this like 101 things I want to do in 1,001 days. And it's really just about writing down 101 things over the next 1,001 days that I would like to see happen in my life. You don't have to get too specific about it. Like skydive so that when the opportunity to skydive comes around you just have to say yes you don't have to think about it because you've written it down you've attracted this opportunity a real interesting story about one of the items I had on my list was cliff jumping I didn't know where it was going to take place I didn't know how it was going to happen I was just like it would be cool to go cliff jumping into the ocean somewhere and I was in Hawaii and we were on this trail with some locals and one of the guys was a surfer very very like a he was like a fish in the water and we come to this edge of this cliff and he starts stripping down i'm like what are you what are you doing he's like i'm gonna i'm gonna jump in and you know there were some girls there normally if it was just me and him i probably would have been like okay dude i'll see you later on the other side, I'm going to walk down. <laughs> the girls are like, Fred, are you going to go? I was like, oh, man, this is on my list. <laughs> I'm just going to go. So he like he took off. He ran and jumped. I ran right behind him, jumped about 30 feet into the ocean, the Pacific Ocean. And uh, the next 100 yards of swimming was probably the hardest swimming I've ever done in my life. But, wow. but it's just like little things like that, that when you write these things down and the opportunity comes up, it's about being a yes man saying yes 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 like this is what I wanted I wrote this down I'm going to take advantage of it and if we were doing that with our visions and with the things that we want to see happen in our lives um, that's where being proactive comes into play you know we're happening to things we're not necessarily letting things happen to us Ooh. and uh, you know I think Leonardo, Leonardo da Vinci said that you know he noticed more often than not that uh, effective successful people they happened to things, not the other way around. I like that. And uh, and that's what writing this stuff down and casting a vision for yourself and, and your point of view and figuring out what it is you want, I think that's what that's all about is we have more control of our lives and, than we realize and about the things that we draw into our lives, about the things that we keep out. Um, so I would, I would recommend writing that stuff down and you'd be surprised at, at what the universe starts to do to bring those things into your life. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's about knowing what you want. 
Yeah, and I'm sure that helps you make decisions faster, which is better for business and, and life in general. Absolutely. You know, when you're on that cliff, you're like, this is on my list. You just you just jump, <laughs> you know, sit there and debate it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Wow. So one last question. Uh, what does live inspiration mean to you? What does live inspiration, where is that coming from? What does it mean to you? <laughs> <laughs> live inspiration. Um. What that means for me is, I think, being the source of inspiration uh, for other people. You know, I've found that it's been really easy to have people rally around you whenever you're living from, like, an authentic place within yourself. Mm -hmm. And people are just like, man, that guy is doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. Or, or that girl, she is, she is exactly where she needs to be. I could totally see it. You know, we just want to, like, root her on and... Uh, people want to get behind you when they see that because I think it's it's kind of rare these days, you know, to to see people that are so in tune to what lights them up inside, what what inspires them. Uh, live in live inspiration. I think also means continually having your eyes open to what inspires you. You know, I think in the work that we do, just as creatives as a whole, we're always looking for new inspiration that we can put into the tank so that we can put through the meat grinder something else that's cool and creative that's distinctly us but you know influenced by other things that we're drawn to and you know living live inspiration is about not only living an inspired life for others uh, and living true to your vision uh, of what you uh, see for yourself but also continually to have your eyes open and peeled for what inspires you yeah awesome i love it well uh where can we uh find you on the internet uh you can find me at effiecastleberry.com and uh everything else is is there instagram, the instagram facebook twitter all that stuff is there so awesome um connect with me reach out to me i'd love to hear from you awesome well thanks for coming on the show yeah it was a pleasure being here thank you Thank you so much for checking out today's episode of Shop Talk Radio and joining me as we dive underneath the hood of the creative lifestyle. Again, I am your host, Nick Onkin, and if you enjoyed today's episode, then go over to iTunes and leave us a good review so that we can spread the word and inspire even more people in the world to live inspiration and share their inner creativity. Also, we'd love to see where you're listening to the podcast, so snap a photo on Instagram, hashtag liveinspiration, or tag me at Nick Onkin so that you can inspire other people to listen wherever they are at. But beyond this, check out NickOnkinShopTalk.com to read articles on creating the creative lifestyle anywhere from emotional intelligence to any other aspect of creative entrepreneurship. I'll be also posting up editorial content in the form of visual essays that I get to create with my photographic eye and my craft and my career. Uh, but most of all, get to join the underground creative community that we're creating. So thanks again for joining us. Now go share your creativity with the world. Oh.